Scrum. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Cromcast. I am the first of your hosts. My name is Luke. I am the least of your hosts. I'm Josh. And I am the median of the hosts, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, everybody. We're in season 12. We're on uh, the Manly Wade Wellman Road, the Appalachian Road, the Mountain Road. The Manly Road, the Folk Road, whatever you want to call the road. It's silver a, road. it's a, it's a silver road. It's a, it's a, the Balladeers Road. It's the Barge Road. There's a lot of uh, terms that we could use to describe this road. Uh, but we're talking about uh, Silver John the Balladeer, Manly Wade Wellman creation. Country Road. Take Hang me home. On. Yeah. So season twelve. That's what we're into. We're I think on the fourth episode of this season. We're talking about the story call me from the valley and so uh the description that we have within our story list here is john gets involved in an ancient feud that should have ended a long time ago but somehow it still lingers dot 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 i think that's a pretty fair summary i think that's uh that's what we're gonna get into we got a we got silver john he's gonna be walking some some lonesome roads in the middle of the night and we've kind of seen that before he's you know, going from here to there. I like the uh, the setup of this. It starts with the rain, and then the, the sky clears, and it gets a bit spooky. It's it's a fun it's a fun story, I think, because of the weather conditions. So there's there's you know. a there's a weird backwoods. Uh, it's like the origin story for a weird backwoods uh, genie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's cool uh, new sort of tropes that we can get into, and I think this is like this is a cool different take we talked about those first couple stories of ugly bird and vandy vandy which shared some similarities and then little back train was was a bit different but played on some classic sort of uh archetypical uh uh characters and sort of like like ghostly tropes and this one i think gets into the same kind of thing and i like how it gets into feuds and uh you know love stories like a little bit of romeo and juliet that's what we're gonna get into uh <laughs> That's what we're gonna do. Okay, but before that, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what we're drinking. Josh, what are you drinking? Uh, I have uh, some Penny Ryle Pale Ale, nice. made by West Sixth Brewing in Lexington, uh, supporting the local businesses by picking up some local brews. Um, and I also have uh, a little bit of Heaven Hill, the Green Label. That's uh, uh is that the ninety proof? I think it is. Yep, yep, it's nine oh, yeah, yeah. So that's what I've got over here to uh, keep my nerves in check and keep my anxiety at bay. Tasty. Mm. John, 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 what do you have? I just, I've decided to cut out the middleman. I'm drinking straight Everclear from here on out, probably. The rest <laughs> Perfect. <of the> <laughs> No, no more water? No, no more water, yeah. No more oak barrel in the middle of me and the alcohol, just me and the booze. Uh, no, I had a, I made myself a small margarita before we started the show. Drank that, and now I have some wild turkey in a glass. 
Nice. You've been on the margarita kick here these days. Well, I, I bought some of the mix for Kara, for my wife, and we had some on Friday or Saturday for dinner uh, from a restaurant in town. And I was like, you know what? That was pretty good. And it got a little warm today, and I thought maybe it would go down nice and smooth. And it did. Yeah, dude. That's cool. Yeah. What a... Uh, Oh, go ahead, Josh. I was going to ask what your what your recipe was. Like, how do you how do you make your margaritas? There's a bottle of tequila, and then I pour like a shot of that in, and mm-hmm. then I have this margarita mix, which I think is called like Mister M's or something like that. And whatever space is left in the glass, and it wasn't a very big glass. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, just fill it up for the not bad. Yeah, it's a nice ratio. It gets you where you want to go. Cool. Which is the Jimmy Buffett's okay. house. What what yeah. uh, tequila did you use? Sousa, I think it says. I'm looking at okay. it from across the room, and I think I might need a new contacts, but <laughs> <laughs> a little bit foggy, a little, a little blurry. We picked up hornitos this time. Nice. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. We we usually get uh, uh forgotten the brand now El Hibidor, which is pretty good. That sounds good too. Not 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 a very expensive uh, tequila, but Perhaps. I like it. Perhaps the next time we go to Howard Days, we can make an excursion down to, to Mexico and we can learn about tequila like we learn about bourbon here in Kentucky. Yeah, we'll we'll take our, our buddy Ben with us. He can be our guide. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Round us out here, Luke. What are you drinking? <laughs> I am drinking a Rheingeist Truth, which is uh, which is an IPA. Uh, similarly, drinking the, the local brews. Uh, so Rheingeist is right up the road in Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm drinking. I've got a couple other Sierra Nevadas. Uh, my wife was, she picked up a, uh, a mixer of the various Sierra Nevadas. So I've got a pale ale and then a torpedo, which is the Sierra Nevada IPA. And then, uh, oh, what, whatever their lager is called. It's, it's really good. Actually. I really like the, it's called Summerfest. It's a oh. summer lager. It's got a little bit of a hoppy bite. It's, it's like a, a, a legit Pilsner. Uh, so I've got a, a mishmash of beers. The beer fridge is kind of varied right now uh, on my end. So I just grabbed like a handful of each of them. So that's what I'm drinking. Is it, It's summertime uh, in your heart, like you're gardening and you need beer as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I stocked up on the hams. We were talking about uh, yeah. it's, it's about to be ham shandy season. I think it probably is ham shandy season. Uh, so we got uh, I got some of those, too. I got some lemonade mix. I didn't opt for the canned, like frozen lemonade, like we were doing last summer. Yeah. I just bought like the the lemonade powder. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that this time around, like the country time, because we need. That'd be interesting. Like, I've done that with the uh, with the the kid in the backyard and like squirt guns and stuff. I've made the pitcher for of lemonade. We've had like uh, the neighbor kids over and we're like running around double bubble style, like we've been hanging out with. Uh, with the the kids next door and uh and so uh i i made like a gallon of country time lemonade and i swear they drank like three quarters of it <laughs> in about an hour and a half period so anyway i was like well we'll see how it works with the with the hams too so maybe the next recording i'll be able to give a status report on the the dry lemonade mix with the the, the hams to make the the shandies that sounds like ham nice. aid really like <laughs> 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 it sounds like a concert, <laughs> but it's all—it's all, it's all uh, cover bands, it's all, like, garage bands. <laughs> nice. 
All right, so that's what we're uh, that's what we're drinking here. Let's go ahead and we can move on into the one one thing. I thought we were going to get a John Fogarty version there for a second, but you were. Put me in, coach. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Josh, you got a one thing for us? I do. I've been listening to a band that my pal Todd posted a uh, a video of fairly recently. Um that I had never heard of, even though they've been around. I, it looks like they, they sort of formed sometime prior to 2018. Uh, and I'm looking at this uh, loudersound.com article right now about Brass Against, um, which is a cover band uh, that is comprised all of uh, uh, brass and low woodwind instruments. Uh, I guess they have a, a trap set player as well. And uh, they do uh, protest music, uh, songs from Black Sabbath and Tool and Audio Slave, um, among other bands. Uh, it looks like they've covered a whole lot of, of Tools um, and Rage Against the Machines uh, songs. But uh, the song that really won me over with them was a uh, cover uh, of a Tool song called The Pot. Um, from their uh, 10,000 Days album from, uh, I don't know, a handful of years ago. And this this band is just super, super good. And I guess they have a rotating sort of roster of, of guest singers that do the, the lyrics for them. And the lyricist on that cover of The Pot is a lady named Sophia Eurista. And she can flat out wail. She is awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm digging this band. Uh, I love the, the layered sound of the, um, the, the low brass and the woodwind instruments, um, you know, with these songs arranged for those instruments. It's, it's just so good. Um, such a a rich full sound. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I've posted that, uh, uh, that version of the pot everywhere on social media that I can. And uh, I, I've been listening to it just nonstop. I think it's great. So brass against so that's my one thing. Nice man. Yeah, I, uh, I I I love you shared shared that, and I'd never heard of them before. But quickly, I went down the rabbit hole with all of the various Tool uh, songs that they had released, uh, and it's it's really great. Like they've got such energy, and it's <clears throat> it's cool that it's not just a straight up like it's it's rock. Or, or rocking, I would say. Like there's there's distortion, there's electric guitars that are going on. It's it's a mix of things, but it really is like a like a jazzification of a lot of the these songs. It's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're awesome. So everybody, check them out. Uh, I'll include a link to um, that version of the pot, and you can I think pick up some of their music. Um, I, I saw them on Amazon. I know that they are on uh, Amazon Music Plus or whatever it is that that we subscribe to. Cool. So yeah. Awesome. What about uh, what about you, John? I'm going to go with Animal Crossing, the new uh, version that's out on the Nintendo Switch right now. I got it the other day for my wife and I, and uh, we made a little island. It's called Lextarf, and we are building it up and inviting little animals to come live with us. And so far, it's been a lot of fun. It's I've I've played, I think, two different generations of Animal Crossing. The GameCube one and the Nintendo DS one, uh, the 3DS one. And they've all been pretty fun. So, yeah, I was excited to give it a shot. 
Either of you ever played? I have not. I haven't either, actually. That's that's a uh, a dark spot. Uh, it's a stain on my video game cred, I guess. But no, I've never played Animal Crossing. I know that uh, our pal um, Chris Strom was a big fan. Oh, yeah. So uh, what is the overall goal of the, the game, John? Like, what do you... I guess, like, the goal of this one is more about, like, you are, you're taking over this deserted island. You're helping Tom Nook, who is a tanuki, a Japanese raccoon dog, and he is trying to sort of bring civilization to this island, and it's you and two other settlers that start out there that are some sort of animal villager. There's a list of them that uh, just kind of get randomized and come on board with you. And then since my wife wanted to play too, she's a, the fourth person on the island. And we're just supposed to like get things started. We build certain things and that attracts more villagers. And then you do another thing and it maybe opens up a door for another person to come. And you can fly around on this little plane and go island to island. And you can find people who've been stranded. And then you can save them and bring them back to your island or invite them to live at your island with you. And... You're working towards the goal of inviting a global superstar musician named KK uh, in the game to come and do an island concert for you. And then that's supposed to like really bring the people in. So that's what I'm working towards right now. You're also like you build a museum at one point and you're filling it with all the insect and fish fauna of the island. And you are collecting fossils that you find randomly and you're building skeletons and stuff. And there's this little owl that helps you put together the museum. Uh, you're helping build a store so people can buy all kinds of goods. It's like a colonization game, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> but it's cute, right? But like it's, it's, it's adorable. Yeah. I think it does have some, <laughs> some criticisms levied against it, that it is like pro capitalist propaganda, perhaps, but <laughs> you can play it and find out for yourself what you think of that. What about you, Luke? <laughs> uh, okay, so my one thing is uh, it's a newspaper. Uh, it's the uh, the failing New York Times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Liz went ahead and uh, like she came home one day and she's like, I got you your Father's Day present early and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. And I was like, oh, okay, what's up? And uh, it was uh, a digital subscription to the New York Times and also like the, the Sunday newspaper. And so nice. we've had a subscription to our local paper, the, the Lexington Herald Leader, for, I don't know, since we kind of became like grownups and got a house and stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so that's been my main like news, news resource, you know, to support. But, uh, but yeah, like the, I, I, I've read of varying bits and pieces of the New York Times. It's kind of hard not to if you're actually like paying attention to the news and you're in the U.S., you're going to be uh, relying on that resource for, like, some some reporting because there's there's not a whole lot of uh, strong feet in that game. Uh, and so it was cool. Like, I, 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 you know, quickly downloaded the app on my phone and was just blown away by every stinking tag that was on there. <laughs> so it's a little bit overwhelming. It's kind of a world into its own. But, you know, th over this week, uh, I cooked a couple recipes from the, the food section because they have awesome recipes. And I knew that like I'd pulled some of their recipes uh, uh, previously and I already had like a little recipe box that I'd thrown some stuff into. 
And uh, and I listened to some of their podcasts already, but I was blown away. There's a whole slew of other podcasts that I never even heard of that uh, that are cool and are right there on the app. And then uh, let's see. So I got the the oh, so I got the the actual like hard copy. I got the Sunday paper, and it was it was huge. But within that was the New York Times book review, and I've never actually like read that. So I spent a solid hour hour and a half. Sunday, like reading over this multi-page insert within the paper that was the New York Times book review. And there was, you know, of course, an entire section devoted to science fiction and fantasy, an entire other section devoted just to horror, uh, all kinds of stuff. So, and I mean, this is obviously not news to anybody what this paper has been publishing since the 1800s. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's been around the block. Like none of this is new, but there was just so much, uh, and oh, and then the other the, the couple other things that were just like this must be this must be some level of like uh, synchronicity is within the paper uh, I was just flipping through the like arts and leisure leisure section when uh, when, when I got to that and there was an article about the new Run the Jewels album and that was just like that's 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 in my wheelhouse and that's <laughs> awesome that it was just like serendipitous with its timing and then I flipped over another page. And there's a flipping double page spread about like the oral history of making Fury Road, which is, of course, like an older movie, but it's celebrating some, you know, some number of years. Maybe it's five years since its release, something like that. Are you sure your wife didn't make this newspaper for (laughs) you? (laughs) It really like and I was blown away. I flipped it out. I flipped it over. I'm like. What Charlie's throw? I look, and then I'm seeing like all of the the the, the names that are popping popping up in the the page. Yeah, it's just it was just awesome. So yeah, that was another little icing on the cake. So I'm <laughs> I am super stoked about my newspaper subscription. Awesome, and that's that. <laughs> yeah, one of one of the best things, uh, one of the best perks, I should say, about working for the school that I work for is that we get a uh, digital subscription to the New York, New York Times through the oh, through the school. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, so I've, I've never had like the hard copy actual physical paper. Um, but yeah, I've been hooked on on reading it on my tablet for the past couple of years, ever since I found out that that we get it. And once a year, we get an email that says, uh, it's time to re-up, go, go register your email address again. And Yep, it's all right there. The the app is killer, like you said. And I haven't really looked into the podcasts, but I'm a big fan of uh uh is it up first, I think. No, that's in the yard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's the you know, the daily uh is the one that I've been listening to kind of on the reg, but they have this one. I know I've talked to John about it, it's called the Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I I like that. I listen to the first one. That's that's amazing. But I found one, like the one that I started listening to that I wasn't familiar with is called the argument. And it's okay. just it's it's a you know uh, a classic two or three I guess maybe there's a host and then two people that are sort of arguing back and forth but it's classic constructive conversation debates on hot button topics and I don't know I know I'm going to be listening to a whole hell of a lot of that back catalog of that one so it's just a, just so much it's it's great I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) yeah so uh you take all of those things you stir them up in a pot and you let it simmer for six or seven hours and you get one thing (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, oh boy. M-I-C-K-E-Y. <laughs> <laughs> So All right, you guys want you guys podcast jail for that? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna skip over that. Okay, okay. You guys are you guys ready to uh, get into uh, a story here? I reckon I'm I'm ready. We'll hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. <laughs> but here's my number. So call me from the valley. <laughs> I, I feel like we banter too much. I feel like that's uh, that's probably going to detract from our, our our listenership. There are people out there that do not like our band. Well, I think there's people that just don't like banter in podcasts, and they could read a they could they could read a review, and that might bypass the banter. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> but that's all I think. I guess I mean, yeah. we make the show, you know, and we talk about what uh, we want to talk about. They they can uh, <laughs> register for a refund, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. They can also like it's pretty much twenty minutes, right? Like just skip twenty minutes ahead if you want to get to the story yeah. part. Yeah, we, we could do pod we could do podcasts, but I'm gonna or not podcasts, we could do timestamps in our podcast, but ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't I don't want to. There there also is the thirty and sixty second skip skips, so just do that about four or five times. It's just like muscle memory and see where you end up. The good thing is there's no there's no ads. So like I guess I guess our ads are the one things like our uh, like our endorsements. We need like like Oprah stamps, like like book club <laughs> sections. Okay. Absolutely, club. Oh, whenever I know we haven't like printed off any uh book any bookmarks. bookmarks since like half a decade ago. I mean, we finally, <laughs> we finally got rid of them. But maybe that can be our next thing. Is like uh like like we can, like when you go to Trader Joe's and they. <laughs> give you like the the, the stickers we Put can have mind. some like chromecast chromecast uh, the chromecast uh select oh my god <laughs> dude that right there that's some gorilla that's some gorilla shit whenever we can get back into half price we can like pop a sticker on the the covers of uh the, the good choices the hot choices mm-hmm. i know nintendo's Ooh. gonna be excited when this comes out for my clutch 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 <laughs> one thing Recommendation. Yeah. No, nobody <laughs> has nobody has ever read the New York Times. They've never they've never dealt with that. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to the day your face is on the front of the New York Times. Like, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Tony the Tiger. <laughs> anyway, that's all to say that. Um, I don't care what people think about our banter or our podcast. Well, I like to banter with you, Josh. I like to banter with you, too. I treasure our friendship. I treasure it. You know who else I like to banter with? Is it John? Yeah, that's right. I was hurt. I, I was hurt. <laughs> don't be hurt. This is a, this is a, it's a triangle. It's a triangle. It's a three-way. It's a love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about manly way. <laughs> we're going to get manly here. Uh... So this story, it's called Call Me From The Valley. Uh, I did not look up any extra information about this story because I read it within the the Bane collection. And I didn't see any other information immediately. So I don't know any of the other publication history. I don't know if we even want to, like... Yeah, I've got it. Okay, hit me. Uh, It was originally published in 1954 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, That cover price was 35 cents. Uh, which is which is pretty great. After that, it was collected 
uh, by Bain. And then there, I guess, is a Nightshade Books collection of uh, Owl's Hoot in the Daytime and Other Omens. Yeah. Yeah. So, but originally, 54, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And I, I get the sense that these stories are contemporary for the time. What do you think? Like that John is living in the same world as Manly Wade Wellman, or the same time frame as Manly Wade Wellman was right? Yeah, the, the early 50s. Yeah, I can Yeah, I can see that. The, the types of stores that we see multiple times and sort of the descriptions of the foods that they're eating. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And definitely within this story, I mean, there's... Uh, does, is it the the deputy that's actually got the the truck, uh, or is he on the on the horse? I can't remember. Like there's there's a there's two different people that have a horse and a truck, and it makes sense that at this point in time, within deep rural Appalachia, that that would be kind of the situation. And they're eating sardines and cheese and crackers out of a sleeve. Like is it that's a all. Horse or a mule. Yeah, he's got a mule. A mule hops on a mule. Yeah. yeah. Forgive my uh, equestrian faux pas. It's okay. I'm <laughs> forgiven and forgotten. <laughs> no, it's not. Apparently, it's not. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just looking for. I think there's a farmer maybe that has a truck. Yeah, there's there's a there's a there's a horse. Or sorry, I screwed up again. There's the <laughs> there's the mule in the truck. There's uh, Mr. J who will, of course, become significant later in the story. There's the farmer. There's the deputy. Uh, there's the shopkeeper. Is there anybody else that's under the, the eave of the porch, or is that does that cover it? I think that's everybody. Okay. So the and setup as a storm has come. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, it's, it's gotten dark out, and they're sort of taking shelter here in this country store uh, under the the eaves of the porch, and they're they're just listening to it rain, talking about local songs, local customs, local folklore, uh, like you do. And they get into a lot of really interesting uh, Appalachian folklore here, like dumb suppers. Have you guys ever heard of this this dumb supper? This was the very first time. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with it. I've I've, I've seen similar kind of like tests and tricks as far as finding out who's who you love or who's going to love you and mm. that kind of thing. But I wasn't specifically familiar with this concept. What's, what's one of those divination <clears throat> practices that you're familiar with? Uh, so I know that there's like a, a variety of things. Like I'm thinking specifically of there's this book that's like a variety of like Halloween traditions. Mm. Uh, and I think we used it as a one thing during our, are Cromtobers in the in the year or two back, but it's uh, it's various tricks that like girls will use to figure out who they're going to marry. And I'm spacing right now on what exactly they would do, but it is it's it is like divination type tricks. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up while we're the one that I think about. Uh-huh. I saw in the Simpsons once, which is where you're supposed to like say something about what your future husband's going to do for a living. And you drip candle oh. wax into cold water, and whatever the wax takes the shape of, that's his profession. That's what it'll be. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I, I didn't know that one. I, I, All the ones that I knew about are uh, they involve apples, and so um, you're supposed to pick up an apple and hold it in your left hand, and with your right hand, uh, you take the uh, the stem 
the remainder of the, the stem that's on there. And then you turn the stem and you say a letter starting with A. And you go A and turn it and B and turn it. And whatever letter that it breaks apart from the apple on, that's the first letter of the last name of the person that you're going to marry. The, the other one that I know of is you're supposed to peel an apple. And you can't let the peel tear. You have to peel the whole apple in one uh, piece. And then you throw that peel into a fire. And whatever letter is formed by that peel as it's burning, that's the letter, uh, the first letter of the last name of the person you'll be with. Huh. Yeah, so so mine are all apple-based. Um, awesome. I had never heard of this dumb supper outside of a book that I read several years ago called Lucifer Ascending by a guy named Bill Ellis. And Luke, you're nodding your head. Yeah, yeah, I I remember you, like, we've talked about this, like, multiple times. Cool. Yeah, so he, that that book is all about um, uh, representations of the devil in pop culture and of folk ways that involve black magic and things like that and the Dumb Supper features in that and he goes into like the origins of it you know um but i had quickly sort of tossed that out of out of memory and out of mind uh so when it came back here that all came rushing back and i started thinking about these everyday sort of things that we do to uh predict certain things about our future you guys know the the folklore surrounding woolly worms right yeah what what is it john has to do with the colors on each end. So woolly wares are supposed to be three different colors. And if the brown bands uh, in the middle is small, is big. Am I remembering this correctly? So I think the one in the middle represents summer. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be nicer, but if it's more black than brown, you're going to have a terrible winter. And I've heard yeah. variations on it that there's 13 segments to a woolly bear and that there's 13 weeks to a winter and you count up how many brown ones there are and how many black ones there are. And that's like your weekly report for what winter is oh. going to be like. I didn't know that one. Yeah, or orange that's cool. Brown. Is that also in that book? Um, I don't remember. I, I think I was maybe just starting my PhD when I read that. So it was like 08, 09, something like that. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, the, these notions of everyday sort of, Things that we look at to uh, determine what's going to happen to us. Um, the the other famous one that I'm familiar with is uh, uses the sun, right? And the um, the color of the sky either at dawn or at dusk, and it's uh, red at night, sailors delight. Yep. Red at yeah, red at dawn, sailors be warned or whatever it is. Red and mourn, sailors be warned. What about this like vegetable production stuff that they start talking about? Is this common knowledge? Oh, planning by the signs? Uh, plan- he says planting by the moon? or Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've always heard of planting by the signs. Okay. And so you're, you're supposed to watch uh, not, not only the phase of the moon, but uh, just the, the ebb and flow of other plants in the spring and the positions of uh, like it gets into uh, astronomy and even astrology nice. uh, when you're, when you're determining when to plant your crops. My tomatoes of Pisces. Is, is that kind of what we're about? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, I had never heard this thing in the, the story though, of planting your underground 
uh, root vegetables at night. Had you guys? I, I hadn't, but it, it seems like just the kind of thing that you would totally like expect with a, uh, you know, just like old wives tale kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Potatoes like it dark. What are you supposed? To, um, what, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, so you go out on a new moon at dark and and or at dusk, and you plant your taters. Sounds like a, a great way to get good tater tots. But yeah, I love this part. Like this, this is world building, but it's you know taking folklore from our world and sort of wrapping the Silver John stuff around it. I, I just I loved it. And it was only a couple of pages. Like this is a really short story. It is, yeah, yeah. It's it's snappy, and I think I think I, there's a lot jammed in, jammed into the story. So that's kind of like the place setting. I like how it uh, it's kind of a uh, like a maybe a three act kind of play. I mean, I guess it follows that kind of structure, but mm-hmm. you could almost tell this story as a play with a place setting of the the, the 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 facade of the store, mm-hmm. Silver John walking, and that would kind of be like an interlude. The house, and then Silver John walking. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really only like two main sets that you would be dealing with, right? Like, uh, and so you get a lot of build up and a lot of like the ambiance that happens under the eve of the the store and. There's some cool, uh, you know, there's there's laying out of the plot because you get this issue of like a of a feud that's laid out here. You get like a, a unrequited love that kind of plays out too, and that's, maybe we should talk about that before we before we sort of move the narrative along as far as what happens. But I like that it also plays with the the concept of like a family feud. Uh, within the story like that, that this really would be a token like family feud like weird story to me i did yeah. hear that this is the old meacham donovan feud country i said i'd always been wanting to hear the true tale of that and what about forney meacham making the rain isn't he dead says john he's you gave him kind of a uh a, a ted kennedy i apologize <laughs> the the Forney Meacham. Forney Meacham. That's just that's that's how people talk in Indiana. Ask not what Forney Meacham can do for you. Um, yeah, he's he's laying out not just the the mythic reasons why it rains all the time in this valley, but also this tragic downfall of these two families, the Meachams and the Donovans, and the Meachams have a member of their family, uh, Forney, Forney Meacham, who uh, is a hoodoo man, right? Like, he's he's the stereotypical villain from our Oh Ugly Bird and Vandy Vandy. Like, he knows the, the arcane secrets of the mountains, and he knows how to make it rain. He knows how to, to make your creek go dry. He can, you know, ruin the water in your wells. He can do all this stuff. He went and learned it somewhere else when he was young, right? Yeah, he's got a lot of power. And at this point, he's like a thunderbird to them. He's That's a, true. He is like a thunderbird. He's like a bringer of rain. And But just in this valley, right, yeah. where allegedly he died. And so he was in love with a uh, girl, right? Um, his second cousin? His cousin, yeah. Lute. Lute Meacham. 
but Lut's heart belonged to another man. Yeah, Jeremiah Donovan. And this led to a conflict, right, between uh, Jeremiah and Forney and... And uh, own son, Durwood, yeah. had it out for it too, right? Durwood, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, I was trying, I was struggling to think, but... Jeremiah, Durwood, Forney, and Lute. <laughs> it's a love square. Yeah, it's a love quadrilateral. <laughs> uh, but it led to ruin for everybody. Allegedly, he they they all died, and Forney, because of his magical powers, the the folks back in this this part of the country say that uh, he's still out there, maybe somewhere. Uh huh. Well, and I think it's important to to point out like there was a knife fight, there's a death, then there's like a shootout in, in a valley, and right when he's getting ready to call it terrain, he is killed, and then okay, uh, yeah. Jeremiah Donovan goes on the run, but Durwood is dead, Forney's dead, and everybody thinks Loot is also dead. So right. he's killed in the middle of a magical act, and now it's like really swampy and gross down in this valley. Uh, further away from the general store where everybody's kind of hanging out at the start of the story. But yeah. Yeah, it just so happens that's where Silver John wants to go through. Yeah, he's got to go through there because uh, the mountain across this swampy area of the, the Appalachians is where his buddy is going to have a uh, a family reunion the next day. And he swore he would make it, so he's got to go. In the middle of the night, no less. Yeah. <laughs> This is, this is the part in, uh, out of all the stories that we've read so far where I most disagree with Silver John. You can't be walking around in the middle of the night in the dark while it's raining. Like, he's going to break his guitar. Yeah. Or his neck. Yeah, I mean, his guitar is more important. Fair. <laughs> and so he's walking down this trail, kind of feeling his way through the woods. He's getting kind of spooked. And, and I love the way that he's that he puts it because he... He says something to the effect of uh, sometimes it wasn't as lonesome as you might call for. There were soft noises like whispers or crawlings. And once there was a howl not too far away, like a dog or a man trying to sound like a dog or maybe the neither of them. For my own comfort, I began to pick the guitar and sing to myself that the wrong tune had come unbidden in the pines, in the pines where the sun never shines. And I shiver where the cold winds blow. Yeah, it is a creepy song. <laughs> uh, so he makes it through the woods, uh, rounds this turn, and is directly right in front of this cabin. And this is where the story takes uh, its dip into the weird. And I, I love, I love this part of the story as well. So our scene, scene two or scene three here, the transitional uh, uh, walking through the woods scene has has played out and we're at the cabin and and i like so the uh the first scene under the eve of the general store and moving into this sort of like principal location for for the bigger story that plays out i love the attention to detail and i know that we've talked about this before but like wellman's ability to write he's he's a he's able to craft uh, emotion from, from few very choice words and I feel like here he's able to very effectively paint the picture of this cabin in a similar fashion like he's using not necessarily sparse wording but 
very detail-oriented writing that allows you to uh, have a very rich like perspective in your head of what it is that's being seen, right? Like, like Wellman writes that uh, he's coming up to the cabin and he says, I could judge that it was an old made log house and the corners were notch locked and the logs clay chinked and the whole wide eaves with thick split shakes on them. Uh, but I couldn't really see like, <laughs> like right. that, that right there, there's like three different, very strong, uh, statements about how this house is built and it's sort of your mind your your mind's eye is running over the exterior of the house and sort of seeing all of this and then like the emphasis of how the doorknob or or what functions for a doorknob uh is explained it's it's a perfect little bit of like appalachian like mountain cabin lore so basically this is a door without a knob there's only a leather latch string old style and old style it was out so basically there was a like a a raw leather cord that was outside meaning that the person could actually use it to to open the door but presumably if you didn't want people coming in you'd have it pulled the opposite way so that they couldn't grab a latch to enter into the house i don't know it's just that kind of attention to detail and this is a real thing that, that these cabins actually had, but it, it paints a picture of the time, the place, and provides like a mechanistic sort of uh, uh, storytelling device to say, hey, we are moving into the house. <laughs> yeah, it's very practical, too. It's uh, uh, are you familiar with any outhouse lore? <laughs> no, I'm very no, hit me. though. So, so the outhouse, at least at my, my grandfather's house, um, he had indoor plumbing, but he still, uh, would go out and use this, this old toilet sometimes just because that, you know, it's always been there and that's what he liked to go, go and do. And, uh, if you walk up to the door of the toilet and the, uh, there's usually a, a piece of wood that you can turn, right? The, to bar the the door oh, yeah, yeah, keep right, it from right. blowing open. Well, right. if that if that is open, that means that it's occupied, right? And so you don't want to open the door because somebody's in there. Somebody's actually gone in there. And when you leave, when you're done, you pin it back. You yeah. you move the pin and you close it. And that is an indicator that lets people know no one's in there. But it also serves a function of keeping the door closed. So it's just this practical way of life, right? Like and all of these different uh, tidbits of of knowledge that are associated with these things, much like the leather cord. That if it's out, it means you can come in. Uh, it's it's just a very forthright and earnest way of approaching uh, the world. I think I, I keep dwelling on like this the 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 door entrance scene. It's not very long, but as you mentioned before, Josh, the story is super duper short. So. Mm-hmm. Like the real estate that's spent here, a whole paragraph describing how the door latch to this cabin operates. It just it's a it's a moment of pause and it kind of sets the stage that you're moving into like I'm imagining, of course, John's been walking in the rain, he's covered his guitar to keep it to keep it uh, you know, as dry as could be. 
and this is a this is a safe haven, right? The room was lit from above, or was lit from a fireplace full of red coals, and from a candlestick on a dish. And it's a clean sort of setting, and we're building up to this concept of the dumb supper. But like, it's an inviting sort of setting, and he's being being invited into it. Like the the room itself is everything you would want to do to come in out of the cold. But also on top of that, the fact that the rope's out, he is being invited in. Yeah, and it's transitions. It's transitions and yes. transitions. You're transitioning yeah. from uh, out in the dark in the cold to. A, a warm, inviting atmosphere, yep. uh, one that's safe from the elements. You're also transitioning from an upland forest into a wetland, which is itself a transitional ecosystem, right? Between yep. terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems. Like this is this is a liminal space, is what I'm saying. Like uh-huh. this cabin links the living and the dead. It links the aquatic and the the terrestrial. It's it's uh, linking this area of protection against the elements versus the elements outside like i i just that as you were talking these things were just dawning on me and i'm I'm just getting more and more excited about how this is written it really it really did strike me reading it's like this is this is one of those stories that is very much a clinic for how to have scenes that are structured to deliver the narrative. Like that was the thing that stood out to me is that it was John is at a John is at B John is at C John is at D like it's, it's a series of steps and the other stories that we've read have John interacting with folks. And this story has John interacting with four folks and moving from place to place because in the other stories, he's kind of like showed up and been in town or showed up and been at the house or showed up and been at the the party, right? right. Like there's not necessarily been hops and skips. Am I, am I misremembering anything? Like it seems like it's, it's the arrival, it's the place, and then it's the departure for those other stories. This one has kind of two pla- like place settings that are of importance. Yeah. With the with the interactions all enveloped in those places, yeah, and he's the one left behind at the end, rather than the other way around. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Spookily dookily, man. So we're gonna get spooky. So uh, so John <laughs> comes into the house, and wouldn't you know it? There's a a spectral a spectral woman, a spectral lady that's at a table that's there to greet him, right? Yeah, the this scene was the spookiest scene to me. Uh, just this image of this lady standing at this table, immobile, mute, not saying anything, staring straight ahead, uh, just sort of barely, barely whispering, like you know, uh, you're you're not him, like. I didn't mean I didn't mean to call you. She's broken in. in uh, she's speaking in broken sentences, but uh, she's basically saying, I, "I called him, and he'll come. He will come." Spooky. Spooky. And she asks him to sing a song to help bring him in, to kind of guide him in, to be his his landing lights. And he yeah. doesn't really know who he is, but he's going to do it. <laughs> and he does. He he sings the uh, the song that he sang earlier back at the porch of the uh, country store. And rather than this magic sort of activating 
the the spell that the lady was casting in the way she expected, things go south. There's a power working here. Yes. In the fire, it was just coals, but out of it comes this like thick, billowing, oily smoke that seems to take the form of a man. Does our lady like that? No, she does not, and neither does John. Well, I mean, and you expect John not to like it, but this lady's truly, clearly trying to call on a ghost. Like, John doesn't mess around with haints, but maybe she's all about it. But this is not the haint that she wanted. This ain't yeah. her haint. Ain't her haint. <laughs> that's, that's the alternate title of the story. I uh. <laughs> and so we have this, this cool confrontation between John and a ghost, which we haven't seen, really. Like, He's taken on wizards. Uh, he indirectly summoned a ghost, right? The ghost of George Washington. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But this was, he hasn't fought a ghost yet. This was probably my favorite part is this like mystical element of John using the guitar to push the ghost around where he wants and then drawing or like scratching crosses in the window so he can't escape. And then they. They don't turn on the lights, but they bring the lights up a bit, right? Like they they douse this thing in light so that it's driven somewhere within the structure. And now they have it's, to search for it. It's a smoky shadow monster. Right. And John is able to, in a very wily sort of way, uh, trick both our hostess and the, the creature that was summoned uh, into thinking that he didn't know where that creature was when in fact he did know and he takes some candle wax and uh, some some soot and just makes a seal over top of the bottle that this thing is hiding in. Did you guys think of Lost when there was a smoke monster? I didn't, that, but I am now. <laughs> that's how that's how I imagined it. Okay. Uh, that's definitely kind of the, the shape of things. The part that Josh just mentioned is one of my favorite parts as well. Uh, sort of my secondary one is that he kind of makes a genie, like an Appalachian genie out of this guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's trapped in this bottle and presumably he's immortal. And uh, that is the uh, the spirit of uh, Forney Nietzsche, right? Who has been inadvertently summoned. This is not who this lady was trying to summon forth, but this is who came out of the, the darkness beyond time and space. Yeah, that son of a bitch. He still wants yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. And he coalesces. He's obviously still, his spirit is somehow still attached to this valley. So does that make him a uh, some type of lich? Like he can never die? What do you think, Luke? This is this is a and yeah. d question. I don't know, man. Like, uh, I I went to more just the, 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 the bottle, like him being locked in the bottle. I thought about the genie thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but. I don't know. Like, it is more. It is more litchy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's wild. I, I like this this monster that Forney has become. This this angry ghost tied to the land that can still make it rain because that was the last thing he was doing before he died. He is the yeah, man. yeah. He is the land, and he makes it rain. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Uh, we basically have a, a happy ending with the story, right? Like that's the cool thing with with the way that things play out. You've got a, a lovely sort of spectral reunion. And how did you guys read this ending? Okay, I, I guess I, I thought it. I, I I interpreted it to be happy. Is that different? I, I, 
well, bittersweet, melancholy for for me because they they're finally together, but they are like it's the end for both of them, right? Uh huh. Did I misinterpret it? Do you think? What do you think, John? It's the end of Jeremiah's physical coil at minimum, and perhaps the end of Lute's haunting of this cabin. Like maybe she's been repeating this for fifty years. Isn't that what they kind of hint at? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Her yeah. ghost is tied to this cabin, and she's been trying to do this for so long. And this is the first time that Jeremiah can actually enter. Like, he was hanging out with John before this, right? He he was one of the guys at the store, Mr. right, right, Mr. J, or something, right? Like yeah, uh, and follows him in. I that was the part that I was a little stuck on. Was like, did he know that John? was going to end up fighting this? Or does he try to get in there every so often to find this cabin? Man, I took it to be all of this was ordained that Mr. J knew okay. early on. And this was, this was all a setup. Like, like, uh, again, with the, the Christy religious stuff, we've got silver John as like the way that sort of like provides some, some happiness and an ultimate like solace for the two. He, he walks in, he doesn't necessarily know the way that it's going to happen. I don't know. I have to imagine if you're like silver, John, you are just romping and rolling. Like we never find out who the hell, like what this family members like reunion that he's going to. It's very suspect. It's just, it's just there. He's going, this is a thing that's happening. I don't think it's suspect. I think it's unimportant, right? But the way that it's written, I have to imagine that Silver John is a person that does a lot of things, if he is indeed a person, but he is an entity that is doing things because it feels right. And he, like, every, the script is written. He doesn't know what's on the next page, but the words that ultimately come out of his mouth are what are supposed to come out of his mouth. Like, he is uh destined to do a lot of these things. That's the way these stories feel. Like he he is the savior and he it's in, it's kind of inescapable. Like he's the dude that's just doing that. I like that. Yeah, I do too. I like the like, Hellboy esque aspects too, like we've talked about in the past where maybe it's even a slight like slightly askew from what Luke is saying is there might be a real party on the other side of this hill but he just agrees to do things out of the kindness of his heart. And then whatever adventures come along, he deals with as they hit him, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He's a cool guy. Such a compelling character because I don't know. He genuinely strikes me as a force for good. Uh, and that's in contrast with some of our Howardian heroes that we that we spent a lot of the earlier seasons about like I, the, the i guess the closest comparisons i could make would be like solomon kane the way that things truly seem episodic and he sort of like comes in and there's some sort of moral quandary that needs to be reconciled and then he sort of like takes back to the road and it's mysterious in those cases solomon kane we had conversations about is he crazy like like what's what's his headspace? What are his motivations? He's 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 might be doing good things, but not for a good person. Here, I mean, we have had uh, Silver John making things right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Like like all the way down. Every every story, dude has uh he has fixed things on a spiritual level for these folks. That's true. <laughs> Se- seemingly. He's uh he's Solomon Cain if Solomon Cain were on meds. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I I really like uh that narrative. So so all of that is to say he is like Okay, well, so I did take this to be a happy ending, I guess just based on on kind of this this melancholic, like you used that term before, Josh, but like the way that it's written about the feller, it says he uh, he put up his face and she put down put hers down, and then he went all slack and limp, restful. There was a state like that is very spooky. Like all of that is spooky is is spooky as hell. But it makes me feel a bit happy inside. Like it, it brings a little smile to my face. Like, oh, they got to be together, right? Like that's kind of the intention of the writing. And yeah. so I read it as a hopeful story. And even like the writing that ha- like shakes out later on uh, was that the moon was brighter. Uh, so walking in the bright moonlight, I began to strum my guitar and gentlemen, the song I sang is really an old song. And then he's, you know, sort of sings us away as he's walking down the road and he, he stows the, the bottle away in a tree. Like this is, this little vignette has almost like, like John is whistling, whistling his way in the dark, but the lights out, like the, the, mo- the light shining down. It, it has a happy ending to me. What about, what about y'all? I would say that it, if it's not happy, it's at least closure for this valley, like of this horrible scar that's on their community and even the ecological side of it, I guess. Like this, the rain part to me, like they keep talking about how soggy it is down in this. And if we're talking about the early 1950s, that would have to have induced disease and just like terribleness for the community based on this bloodshed that happened between these two families and this rain wizard getting shot to smithereens in the middle of a spell uh it's a if it's not happy it's at least closure and like everybody gets to move on now but i do think it's happy for these two characters where they get to be ghosts together or be dead together yeah and that's the part that i'm not sure about because like i assumed that maybe mr j was a ghost the whole time or was he just trapped in this yeah. was he an old man who had escaped and I think he's an old haunted had man. he been had he been seeking this uh like his lost love this whole time you know and and in that in that light through that lens yeah it's it's happy i'm happy that they're together but when john leaves the cabin it, he looks back and it's it's a wreck right like it's uh-huh. ruined the the roof has fallen in the the rain has obviously just collapsed everything everything he just saw was part of some some ghostly other world right like it was a dream it's it's dream logic that made all of this happen um but it was real enough for for john and uh it says uh inside jeremiah donovan and Lute Lute meacham were together at last and peaceful so peaceful most folks would think they were dead and gone and so i just assumed that they they were like that 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 was on the surface not just not just a a throwaway statement like it's 
they they are both dead now. Like that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, they, okay. they are they are they are. <laughs> this is like a typo negative song, like dead together. Like they are, yeah. but that's like a happy. That's the happy ending. Is that their spirits are traveling on, but they're like spirits united. Yeah, they went to see the black parade. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's it's cause for celebration. Do you guys view cabins as sort of a liminal space, even separate from this story? What do you mean? I, like when I think of a cabin, I think of uh, maybe it's a modern perspective on it. Like it's an antiquated structure. It's not necessarily the best way to perhaps build a house in the woods. It's economical and easy. And if everything falls apart soon, like maybe we'll all be building cabins. But uh, it seems like it, I don't know, like the cabins that I've been in. They have a spookier element to them, like they're shadows that aren't necessarily in a regular house and. I don't know. I was just wondering what your thoughts on were on cabins. Like, what does a cabin represent to you? So I think I think it could be like like when I so the like the term liminal. We've talked about this before, but like if uh like what a Pegasus or a hippogriff or a bat, like those are liminal creatures that sort of share characteristics that sort of span elements or span span the spaces or. It's that kind of thing. And we've talked about maybe riparian corridors, like the edge of a stream as a liminal space between the water and the the land, right? Mm-hmm. Like a cabin is it's kind of like that because I see it as it's like a safe harbor in the night and it's it's something that approximates the comforts of home but still in the wild. Yeah, so like that okay. that like that, yes. that rustic appeal is something that is it's homey but yet at the same time it's a little bit like like when you if you were to live in uh or like spend the night in a legit cabin it doesn't have all of the uh accoutrements of home and actually now that we're now that i'm sort of thinking about this the door handle right like that is like there's the clear statement of this ain't your regular door handle. This is like a rawhide leather strap that works through the hinge, like works through the the you know the interior of the door. It ain't it ain't your your door handle that you're familiar with. And Josh, you were talking about the outhouse before with your you know your 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 grandfather. Like like that is a that's not something that is totally civilized or totally like. It's recognizable yeah it yeah, is in a twain place you're hitting on exactly what i was trying to say which is like a cabin is this like deluxe lean-to almost you don't have a house yet it's it's a nice structure and cabins can be beautiful and wonderful but it's raw like it, it's this raw space in the wilderness that you've humanized but it's a very small barrier between your human so, world and the outside yeah so let's take this a step further like i'm sort of thinking about this like I'm I'm automatically thinking about like sleeping in a tent and why do we like camping? Like that's where my head is going with this. Like what is the what is the attraction to the so-called great outdoors? You know, like like we like to be closer to nature, but also the various ways that we like bivouac or or camp or spend our time out away from the civilized world, that is like we're trying to meld the two. Yeah. Yeah. We we like that feeling of of being like having one foot in the water, I guess. 
Yeah. I like it. This is. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, liminal is, is the, I think about the transition, right? Like right. it's, it's the, it's the, the portal through which you, you move to go from one thing to another thing. And if you're thinking about the history of like American home structures, yeah, then yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. A, a cabin is a, a liminal space. And even sure. in this story, yeah. it's sort of liminal in that he starts at a 1950s general store with packaged food and he like travels into the night into a storm and he's stuck in this cabin. And the next day he's going to go off to his friend's house party for a reunion, right? Like it's, it's a transition. <laughs> house party. That's a kid play. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Like I, it didn't dawn on me to think about that, but it totally, it, it very much does sync up with the ghostiness of like the cabin in and of itself is liminal, but uh, John is experiencing this, like uh, uh, an actual, like uh, one foot in the great beyond liminal space. That it, yeah. yeah. It was coming to I, me as we were talking. I was like, yeah <laughs> you know what it's almost like talking about these stories makes it a whole lot of fun to... <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole reason and for we, doing uh, that. Yes. we slap it into audacity and we release it <laughs> wow. no man it's cool because you read the story and it works and it clicks uh and you can spend some time reflecting on it but also like sort of talking through these things Really, we can kind of grow, grow things like organic sort of. I, these are not ideas. I think there's the actual reasons why the story works, but it takes uh, a little bit of back and forth to kind of flesh it out. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, I love this story. I thought it was great. It's uh, it's, it's super short, and it's it's like Appalachian myth building. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it? Why is it that it always rains in this valley? Well, here's why. Uh, a long time ago, there was this feud, and one of the people involved in the feud was a, a wizard who could make it rain. And the last time he tried to make it rain, he was killed in in anger. And now it just rains, and he haunts this valley. Like, dude, that is so cool. And and if if you spend any time like frumping around out in the woods, you have weird like you know areas that are rainy, like. For my my graduate work in like Wyoming County, West Virginia, it was always flipping raining there, and I associate my thoughts of southwestern West Virginia with just rain, <laughs> like like perpetual. And maybe it was a roll of the dice. I don't know the four times a year that we, or the four times a summer that we went there across two summers, the eight times total that we did it. But it was always wet and mucky and not fun. And I got I got that in my head, right? There was a ghost. And, yeah, but and this provides some sort of like mechanism for that, right? I don't know. It's it's uh, it works. And I, so so final final thing though, like as far as myth building, and I'll throw this back to Josh. Like with with the the bottle, like I get the sense that uh, with you made the reference to the genie situation. Mm-hmm. 
before. Like, like there's basically planting of another seed of a story, right? Like that's for sure. That's that's the intentional. Like, I'm th- I'm, I'm just throwing seeds out there for a world, right? That Wellman's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he even makes the Arabian Nights reference. Yeah, and this was absolutely intentional. Yeah, the have you ever been out? way out in the woods and run across an old glass bottle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, in, you know, my research, I was, I was out in creeks a lot and walking up beside rivers. And so I would find old bottles and old glass all the time. And, and I never thought about, Oh, well, this might be a genie. I often thought, well, what if, what if, uh, what if there's a message in this bottle that, that would be weird. Uh, I was just thinking, like this. This would be such a cool adventure hook for you know some sort of Savage Worlds campaign, weird weird campaign set in Appalachia where somebody has found this genie and and you've got to you've got to put the genie back in the bottle. So got a thunder genie that's loose in town. Yeah, Prestonsburg is under siege by a thunder genie. Man, it rains in Moorhead all the time, and I live there. For- <laughs> Close yeah. to five years, and yeah, it rains in Moorhead a lot. <laughs> you, you, and Liz both say that, like that—that yeah. that, that is a true. yeah. It's crazy. I love it. What's the most forbidden or worst thing you've ever found in the woods? Uh, worst thing? I mean, I uh, I've told you guys about the um the research technician I worked with who heard a banshee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, And it was raining then, so maybe it was actually a water spirit of some kind. But uh, at Robinson Forest, which is the University of Kentucky's research forest, way up in one of those those watersheds, there is an old like I don't know if it's a stone pig pen or what it is, but it's this like square sort of thing. I'll send you guys a photo. It's it's really weird. It looks like a shrine to Odin that's tucked way back in the woods Whoa. and it's, it's the square and um, evidently that's what it was is, is some kind of livestock enclosure. Uh, <laughs> you said evidently that's what it was after the, 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 the Odin. The Odin yeah, like... <laughs> no, it, wasn't a, it wasn't any kind of Norse uh, shrine. But no, it, it, it was some sort of animal enclosure. And that thing gave me the, the, the all kinds of weirds. That sounds as weird. I was, Walking up to it and, and looking at it and taking pictures of it. Like, what the heck is this? It was uh, a very Blair Witch kind of feel. Yeah. Oh, know? I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? Uh, so, so with my stuff out at Mammoth Cave, so I did some research out at Mammoth Cave over, over uh, a few years. And like we uncovered like a, like a well or at least like a, a hole in the ground. Not like not a not a not a cave, but like a a, a human like that's just a that's somebody's cistern. I guess that's what it was, probably a cistern. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a a very spooky kind of. That does sound spooky. Not bad. Yeah. Situation. It's not. It's not quite as like uh, spooky as what we're talking about here, like outright. But something that just has like a base level. Uh, creep factor and you guys will probably recognize and relate to this but you're out walking in the woods and you start to see like clumps of daffodils like corners corners of 
what clearly was an old foundation or a homestead, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whenever, like, and I would see that all the time out of Mammoth Cave, uh, because there was such a strong footprint of, of human, like European presence all across that area. Like even before it was a national park, it's, it's crazy. I, I love it. But also there's just a layer of creepiness to Mammoth Cave. Like there's, there's multiple cemeteries across the park and we would, you know, be parking and working right next to some of these cemeteries. And there's just great history to be said there or to, to, to be seen there. But also when you're out in the woods and you just start seeing like evidences of old homesteads, I don't know. It's there's hey, there's almost people like watching over your over your shoulder. I, I totally get that uh, cr- like creepy feeling. Like I don't know. I would when I was doing my postdoc work, I was listening to uh, the uh, songs of ice and fire like on audiobook a lot, and I would have mm-hmm. like one earbud in and one earbud like tucked into my shirt so I could hear. But I was also I was working solo again. I was just like doing field work, but I would occasionally get to these quiet moments in these different different places and I would get freaked out and I'd have to take my earbud out and <laughs> I wanted to be able to hear out of both ears what was going on while I was conducting my field work. Something was coming yeah. up on you. It's it's really easy to creep yourself out in the woods if you're especially yeah. if you're by yourself. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of woods growing up, but we had these like squares of woods around where I grew up and it's a very patchy habitat, as you can imagine, in Indiana, where there's like cornfield, cornfield, woodlot, cornfield, cornfield, soybean field. Uh, but we would go wander around in these woodlots sometimes. And one time, my brother and I and my cousin, we found these trash bags that were just like hanging out next to a creek. And they were attracting a lot of fly life. And so we sliced one open and outspilled what I can only describe as the entire gut content of something uh, like fat body and weird Uh internal structures. I think that somebody illegally harvested a deer and then uh, like bagged up the remnants and and left it there and tossed the guts. Yeah. And then vamoosed, but it freaked me out. Like I thought somebody had been killed in this (laughs) acre of woods (laughs) surrounded by clear skies on all sides otherwise. But, uh, it was really creepy. That was that's my creepiest find in the woods ever. Yeah, that's wild, man. But the ghost yeah. daffodils that Luke is talking about, like that, would freak me out to see. Like <laughs> this is clearly an ornamental bed that used to exist around somebody's house. Freaked me right out. Yeah, uh, or even seeing like sometimes uh, you'll see may apples growing in circles. Oh, yeah, that's a good and, one. and that's 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 pretty wild to see. But uh, yeah, nothing like. You know, spilled guts. <laughs> yeah, you win. Uh, so I lost connection there for a second. Was it clear to you guys? Yes. No, nope. yeah, you were frozen. Oh, doing this. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it must have been. It must have been just me. So I think the, the recording was good. But yeah, okay. Cool. Cool. Wrap us up, Luke. I I will wrap us up. All right, guys. <laughs> Don't tell him how to drive the boat. Okay, I gotta I gotta do it a couple different ways. <laughs> it's a little bit letter kitty. Like, okay, now, now, okay, 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 now. <laughs> so, 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 uh, 
we all like this story. This story has uh, a very short word count, but a pretty cool structure. I get the sense that we like the the world building. The Silver John uh, uh, drops into things here, and I guess that Manly Wade Wellman drops in for Silver John. Let's. How do we want to wrap it up? Anything else that we want to say? Final thoughts. Man, uh, this this discussion just really made me want to delve more into these stories beyond the handful that we're going to cover this season. Like we're going to do two more um, by Wade Wellman, and and then some uh, related materials. And uh, I just I feel like this character is so. Uh, he's such a breath of fresh air. He's so different from the other pulp heroes that we've read about. And I, I just love it. So, you know, uh, I, uh, I will certainly be in favor of coming back to do some silver John sometime. Um, and that's, that's the thought that I have. But the other thought is I want to go hiking. Like I want to get out and I want to get out in the woods and, and find some, some uh, uh, weird, you know, portions of an old cabin and explore it. I want to get out there. Yeah. That was going to be my takeaway was everybody should go out and wander around in the woods in the middle of the night while it's raining. <laughs> yeah. Especially while it's raining. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I liked it a lot. It's, it's a, it's a good one. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where like the next story takes us. So the next one we're going to do is called Owl's Hoot in the Daytime, which I know we've gotten some comments that it's a, it's a fan favorite for at least some some folks. Uh, I'm curious to see, like at this point we've established a handful of like narrative structures, what this one's going to be about. Yeah. Uh, John faces down a demon who dwells within an entrance to a mountain. Oot. Every time you say yeah. John, I I feel like I do this. Like what? What? I did. I did. No, I didn't. I did not do that. I'm gonna say John with an H. That'll work. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. So we're talking about Owls Hoot in the Daytime. That's the next story. If you want to read that one, that's one that is uh, that Bane has put out for Freezies, so you can read it. It's right there. You go to our. Uh, story list and click on the clicky click and you're there so read it up if you can these stories they're they are hard to get in paperback or or at least in print uh it's something that some folks have commented on uh i mean if you're cool and you were like i got the silver john stories before 2020 like i don't know like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. That's cool. Like, <laughs> but if you want to buy any of these collections now, even just paperbacks, they're going to run you 40 or 50 bucks. Uh, you can get some collections in the, the hundred dollar range that are hardbound. Mm-hmm. I think, I think evil ed like sent a link to us yeah. uh, on discord about like, like you can, you can still buy some of these collections uh, that way, but they're hard to get a hold of. But digitally, you can get them, and of course, through your local library network and the the beautiful archive.org and a variety of other library resources. You can get a hold of these stories. Uh, anyway, so that's that. So Owls Hoot in the Daytime is next. Uh, what else, guys? Josh, you want to you wanna give us the, the, the references to how people can find us? Sure, I'll bring us home. 
Um, you may be wondering, how can I listen to more of the banter, the creative banter provided by these three handsome gentlemen? And if you'd like to hear more, go to thecrowncast.blogspot.com. Uh, all of our materials are there, even though we're banned on Facebook and we can't post any links to our, our site. We still update it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Chromecast. We're on Instagram also at the Chromecast. And if you want to call us and leave a voicemail, that'd be great. That number is 859-429-CROM. Uh, anyway, that's how you can find us. And uh, next time it's Owl's Hoot in the Daytime. Uh, we've got two more Wade Wellman stories. And we're going to do some Hellboy and some Coen Brothers. And I'm, I'm super psyched. We'll see you a little bit further down the Manly Road.
eggplant emojis across the board. 